Well, we got two pitchers of water up here. There are two churches, okay? We got this church, we got that church. And what I have here in a lovely Harbor Stadium cup, which you receive if you turn in your visitor's card, by the way, I've got a cup full of evangelism, okay? I've got a cup full of caring about other people's souls. I've got a cup full of having a burden about the reality of where people are going to spend their eternity. So I'm going to add it to this church over here and see what happens. There it is. Everyone say fizz. Okay, fizz. You got a church that has something going on. And maybe you heard about it from John right there as so you're sharing about Morocco. Doesn't it make you just go, ooh, there's stuff going on and it's cool, right? I remember back when Jim Miriam, in the early days of our church, wow, okay. <laughs> Watch out. Um, Jade was really worried about this before we did this, so hopefully we're not brimming over here. Uh, in the early days of the church, I just remember we were just a couple of faith groups, and Jim Miriam said, all right, I'm going to take my faith group, and we're just going to buy some pizza, and we're going to go, and as the bars of Beverly are emptying, we'll just offer pizza to people coming out and see what happens. Man, that makes life fizzy, okay? They had a great time. They just got to share pizza. Sometimes they got to share the Lord with people. People are like, why are you doing this? Well, we love Jesus, and it just makes for a good time. I think of even recently here, Brian and Jade, just recently, they um, spoke with their banker. They just said, hey, is there anything we could pray for you? You know, they took a risk in this bank office or this loan office and said, hey, can I, anything I can pray for you for? And, uh, you know, with, with moist eyes, the banker proceeded to share a pretty intimate thing. And Brian and Jade have been an ally to this person. And, uh, and it just, things go on when you take the risk. Churches that care about the eternal destinies of others, they got some fizz going on, Okay. Now, remember, it's not an issue of worship style. And I'll say this for the benefit. I see Priscilla, Phil's mom is here. You know, hey, we got an Anglican church down the street that's totally fizzy. It's not a worship style, but it's caring about the souls of people. It's caring that the kingdom of God is advanced. It's caring about the fact that the word of God is true today, just as true as it was when it was penned. So we want to be a church that is fizzy. It's we want what's going on, and it's fun when we get involved in other people's lives and their eternal destinies. Now, the cool thing is, it actually also does some internal good for you. Let me just try this for a second. Hmm. Wow. That's a, oh, a lot of... <clears throat> <clears throat> There's a lot going on in there, I'll tell you that. Ah. Ah. Okay. So, wow, I got it going on now, and here's what I mean. It's good, for your inter- it's good for your internals. Paul penned a letter a few thousand years ago, a couple thousand we'll say, and um, Paul was writing to a friend um, named Philemon, and he said, hey, this is a, a matter that I want to address. You know, I want you to set this slave named Onesimus free, but as a tangential thing, he says in the sixth verse, he says, hey, I want you to be active. I pray that you're active in sharing your faith, because if you're active in sharing your faith, you have a good understanding of all the good things we have in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And not only is it fun and fizzy when we care about other people's souls, but God actually says that if we're active in sharing our faith, we get a better understanding of all the good things we have in Christ Jesus. Did you hear it when John was sharing? John's got a real understanding of all the good things he has in Christ Jesus because he's been actively sharing. It's wonderful. So the issue is, why is it, as I mentioned last week, when we say the word evangelism, Right, all of a sudden, oh, this heavy burden, I can feel it on you. You know, I can feel it on me. Oh, 
We get the heavy, it comes on us. It's hard, isn't it? At times we get in trouble for it, right? Caitlin Scott Dulesky works at a public school north of Boston. She said one of the, uh, one of the um, uh, demerits, I don't know, a kid was written up. And why was he written up? He was written up and sent to the office for evangelizing in class. <laughs> I just love that. I think that's great. I pray that happens more in some of these schools, you know? But you feel that too, you know? It's awkward. You're the village idiot sometimes when you're the Christian. I remember when I taught public school, sitting at the lunch table with the principal at the table, and then, you know, somehow some discussion came up, and all of a sudden I've got like the dunce cap on my head because I'm the Christian, you know what I'm saying? And it's hard. It's hard in this postmodern culture, right? A culture that values things like experience over propositional truth, a culture that values uh, struggle and process more than just black and white. It's hard when we're coming and saying, hey, we really believe that there's just one way. It kind of goes against the whole, this kind of veneer of tolerance that the postmodern culture has going on. And so it's hard. We don't know always how to share. It's frustrating. We feel like we don't have the answers. Or maybe we feel like we're not walking all the power that we need to. Maybe we feel like we don't have the authority to right now. Because, well, I sinned yesterday, so who am I to share the gospel today? These are some of the things that block us. I think we're pretty secure on the why we need to share the gospel. You know, we've got ringing in our ears, if, as, as I do. We have Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. right? He said, um, but go into all the world, preach the gospel. You know, make disciples, teach them, baptizing them. Sorry, I'm not doing a great job reciting the scripture. Go into all the world, make disciples, teach them all that I have commanded, and uh, baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we got this. We know our job is to make disciples. And we read the book of Revelation. We've got a pretty horrific picture of the end of time where there will be a separating. And those people whose names are not written in the book of life are uh, relegated to eternity without God. And some fiery imagery there about what that looks like. So we have this weighing on us. So we, we've got the why. We realize, hey, I really do need to be one who shares the gospel. It's, all, it's something on Jesus' heart. But where we have a wrestling match with is sometimes the how. How do I get this done? How do I do this? Because in the ways that I've tried, it feels like it's not working. Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to answer all the why questions as we look at this fizz series, try to be a fizzy church as much as we can. But we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus says that can help us with the how. Okay? Everyone everyone agreed? We'll look at this together. Lord, help us with the how, because we want to be fizzy. Amen? Amen. So as you're turning to Mark 4, I want to ask you a question. You turn to Mark 4, and I want to ask you a question. That question is, how did you come to Jesus? How did you come to Jesus? And forgive me, I'm going to belch a lot during this message because I've got some, <laughs> some Alka-Seltzer here. <clears throat> How did you come to Jesus? I remember showing up, and I had a great church experience growing up, but I remember showing up in Waco, Texas at Bill University at what is now our grandparent church and feeling slightly uncomfortable because I couldn't articulate to people the day that I was saved, okay? I actually wasn't able to say, this is the day that I got saved. But what I more jived with was the fact that, yes, I grew up in the church, but Jesus wooed me over time. I have some milestones. As a 10-year-old, I did say yes to Jesus and get baptized. Perhaps that is the date of salvation. But really, there was an internal process that was somewhat mysterious that happened over years And where I kind of got in line and said, yes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. What about you? How did you come to Jesus? 
Maybe you do have a date of salvation, and I rejoice with you. But maybe, like I know some of you have, there's been more of a process. Let's look what Jesus said about this process. He said it in Mark 4. If I can set the scene for you, Jesus is, um, he's actually gotten into a boat because such a large crowd has gathered around him. He's gotten into a boat and put out a little bit so that the whole crowd can hear him. And of course, you know, the voice that can carry over the waters. It's, a, it's the lake. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's not the raging ocean. And so he's able to share with them. And remember the people who are listening to him are people who, when they think of the kingdom, they are familiar with the religious system. You know, you go to synagogue, and uh, we have this temple system of sacrifices. And so Jesus is about to say something that's really pretty radical, to use an overused term, pretty different from what they're used to. And this is what he says about what God is like and what the kingdom is like. We're at Mark 4, verses 26 to 29. He also said, because Jesus has shared a couple of pictures here, he said, this is what the kingdom of God, which is just the rule and the reign of God in our hearts, this is what it's like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Let me read the first two verses again. I want to hone in on something here. He also said, this is such good news to the people listening to this. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The first kind of reality that we want to come to when we think of this task of sharing the gospel, when we think of the task of fulfilling the Great Commission, we think of John and Phil and Morocco doing that, is mystery. Okay? Though the farmers, the, the, the man scatters seed, Whether he wakes or sleeps, the thing grows. And it says, though he does not know how. So there is mystery to how people respond to the Lord. And we've just got to learn to be okay with that. I think of my own youth group experience. I had the privilege from 6th to 10th grade to be under a wonderful man named Pastor Dave, the youth pastor. Kind of an anomaly in a Methodist church here in New England. He's from ORU, Oral Roberts University. And I remember even now, the days of him sharing on the whiteboard what he called the good news, bad news, good news. And he just shared the gospel with us. So, I don't know, maybe there are 50, 60, 80 people who, in Dave's actually five years at Carter Methodist Church where I grew up, who heard the gospel, not only heard it, but were loved on by Dave in such a way as to be compelling us to share the gospel. And we've got some of us, I'm a pastor There's another guy, my friend Jim Robbins. He was a pastor at a Methodist church in Georgia. Now he's up in New Hampshire. We've got Andy Crouch. He was kind of in our cohort. You know, Andy Crouch was at Gordon last year speaking about his book called Culture Makers. The gospel took root with some of us. And then there's some of us, we went through the same experience, but I can share, you know, some of these, my high school friends, they're just not walking with the Lord and there's no desire there. And I don't know what to say. Were they not prayed for enough? You know, were there circumstances in life that were too hard? Was their family situation not good enough? You know, I don't know that 
those, those um, criteria, those variables are really uh, infinite. There's mystery. So instead of us trying to control the mystery or reduce the mystery or uh, predict the mystery of why people respond to God, we just need to get comfortable with it and be okay. It doesn't mean we stop scattering seed. It doesn't mean we stop inviting people to faith group or, you know, Jonathan Frizz and I were at lunch this week. It doesn't mean we stop asking our waitress, hey, is there a way we can pray for you? We scattered a little seed. Got to pray for a, a, a young woman there, you know? We don't stop scattering seed, but we do so knowing that there's a mystery there. And if anything, at least for me, that's super liberating, isn't it? Because the monkey's on God's back, it's not on ours. We scatter the seed, we share the gospel, but God's the one who's calling people and drawing people. Amen? Jesus said it this way in John, John 6. He said, unless the Father draws, unless the Father who sent me draws them, they can't come to me. But in the end, I'll raise them up in the last day. And there's some mystery there, because that flies right in the face of our, you know, kind of our Calvinist, Arminian wrestlings. Like, how does the sovereignty of God work? Is it fair? And I realize that. But as I said, what it should do for us now is it should just be able to make us comfortable with the fact that there's mystery. Okay? So you can say this with me. Say, I'm free. free. Say, I'm free to be fizzy. fizzy. Right? You can be fizzy. We can have it going on by sharing the gospel, scattering seed. I'm free to be fizzy because it's a mystery. All right? Say that with me. I'm free to be fizzy because it's a mystery. Praise God. Now, it doesn't quite end there. There is a little tension here, isn't there? Because it says this, let me do verses 28 and 29. It says, all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So although there's mystery to it, there is a tension here. And the tension here is that it is organic. In other words, it's natural, but it seems to follow a very interesting progression and quite predictable in the sense that when the farmer puts seed in, it doesn't overnight become the full stock, but there is a progression or, you know, full ear. I don't, I'm not a farmer, so I understand all the terms. But, you know, seed to full thing, there's a progression. You know, plants grow, trees grow. And so it's organic and yet somewhat predictable. And this is what I really like. I like, I'm sharing with you uh, an experience in the research of two men who uh, have worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in Southern California and in Boulder, Colorado, okay? So this isn't Heartland USA that they've experienced it. They've experienced it on the coast and in Boulder, two places that, like New England, are at times more hostile to the gospel. But these guys realized something in the early 90s. They realized that as they were sharing the gospel with people on campuses, the old methods or approaches just stopped working. They started to perceive this kind of tectonic shift that now we're kind of labeling broadly as postmodernism. The things I mentioned earlier, you know, being, being more into struggle, experience, you know, um, uh, you know, there is actually an openness to spirituality, things like that. But where, you know, enlightenment truth isn't kind of the, the driving force anymore. They started to adjust their methods. And then what happened was, from 96 to 2007, they experienced about 2,200 people becoming followers of Jesus Christ. This in Southern Cal and Boulder, Colorado. So that caught the attention of people. And they started to ask themselves, well, what is what we're doing? Why is it working? Because think about that. 2,200 in about 10, 11 years, that's about 200 students a year. That's about 100 per semester. John, does that get exciting as a college pastor? Come on. Imagine 100 students per semester becoming 
legit followers of Christ. So what they did is they actually interviewed all 2,200, and they said, okay, can you tell us about how did you come to Christ? And what they found was everyone followed a pattern of thresholds. And listen, these guys were, were um, ruthless with this, with this um, pattern. They actually, they've tried to kill the pattern several times since, since they found it. Like they've tried to have people come and say, hey, please, guys, poke holes in our theory. And, um, and it's, it's kind of withstood that test. So I'm going to share with you is these kind of these thresholds, these um, things that people go through as they come to Christ in this postmodern culture. I'm sharing from a book called I Once Was Lost. I think the byline is um, how, what, what, uh, what cynical or yeah, what skeptic postmoderns taught us about the path to Jesus. That's the subtitle of this book. I recommend it to you. John gave it to me and I'm so glad. It's changing me. It's getting me excited so I don't say evangelism anymore. I say evangelism. Yes, I'm free to be busy, because it's a mystery. So I can say that. Okay, the first threshold is trusting a Christian. Okay, and these will show up there on the screen. The first threshold is all these guys went from a place of not trusting Christianity, but then trusting a person. And here's the tension between the, the uh, organic nature and the mystery part. The organic nature is this is pretty much all their first step. The first step for all of them was they trusted a Christian. The mystery is how it happened. You know, one of the authors says that when he was a college student, he um, was kind of known as the God Squad guy in his dorm, so a lot of people avoided him. But he, he would set up, um, like, some mattresses outside of his dorm and then just wrestle people, and they'd have wrestling matches. So this one guy who was really a cynic and just, you know, mad at the world and don't ever talk about God, they wrestled, they locked horns, and after that locking horns, uh, this guy who's kind of a cynic just started to share his life with um, one of the authors here. I think it was Doug. And, uh, and, you know, through the course of the year, shares his life, ends up following Jesus. But there's that first step, they trusted a Christian. The second step was that they somehow became curious. In other words, it wasn't just, okay, you're a Christian, that's interesting, but they became curious, like, wow, hmm, I'm not just going to stay in my complacent space anymore, but I'm going to become curious. So I just got really excited because I realized that some of you are, are walking through these processes and are, have recently walked these processes. So it's really exciting, these thresholds. Now the third step, and um, this is the one where they say kind of the funnel gets really narrow. In other words, a lot of people drop, up, drop off at this stage. But the third step is they actually open up to change for themselves, right? They actually open up to the possibility of, whoa, maybe this whole God thing, maybe this Jesus thing requires a change from me and I need to change now. And that's where actually a lot of the prayer kind of comes in place, where we need to pray. I think that's, almost we could say that's where this woman that you met on the tram, Sarah, is at, right? She's actually considering, um, wow, um, what, you know, do I need to change? And, um, you know, part of the mystery is, you know, it's a, it's a mystery that they become open to, to wanting to change, you know? For, for this person, she's got all of her culture and Islam saying, this is the way it is. And so she is asking, do I need to change? The fourth one is that they become a seeker after God and that they actually have an urgency about the person Jesus. They are actually wanting to find out, is this Jesus thing real? It's not just this God thing, but it's, is the Jesus thing real? Now, the thing where we need to grow as a church is often our kind of our one-trick deals, our one-stop wonders, like, hey, do you, need, you, know, do you know Jesus? You need to know him now. It's usually aimed at this, these people, but... but um, 
But as you can see, there's three other thresholds where people may be at. And sometimes we come in and we're, we're assuming they're at step four, threshold four. Hey, you need to know about Jesus, you know? You want, you want to get saved? And we come and it's not as effective because it's not where they're at. But this is when someone is saying, I want to know about Jesus. And they're, they're, um, there's an urgency there. And then lastly, the last threshold is, of course, they come into the kingdom. Again, a mysterious thing that has happened to many of us here. We repent. We believe on Jesus. We say, Lord, you can have it all. I'm really going to follow you. Okay? So these thresholds, they're not a magic formula, but what they are is it just changes the game for us. It sets us free. And so I just want to share about kind of two implications that this has for us, and, um, and then we'll, we'll move on. <clears throat> so as I've said, by the parable we see that there's a mystery to it, but there's an organic and there's a natural process that people follow through, it seems like. So this has a couple implications. The first is this, that what I want to release all of you to do here is what some people call friendship evangelism. All right? And I get so excited about that because that's what we all have access to. All of us can access friendship evangelism. All of us have people that we see, that we walk with, that we work with in our families, people that are around us and that we can share with. I would love for all of us to experience more power evangelism, right? That's the term that uh, John Wimber of the Vineyard Movement, he coined the phrase where you just kind of, in, you know, have more of the supernatural happen, you know, in, in, the, in the scenario. Like, I remember a story of, um, whether it was John Wimber or someone else who, you know, like is sitting on an airplane and um, gets a word of knowledge about the person sitting next to them and really just, you know, reads their mail to them and says, hey, I don't even remember what they said, but hey, is this, this, this happening? And of course the person's like, you know, how'd you know that? Well, come to Jesus, you know? And that's great. And I hope we all get to grow in that. I do. And actually, we, we train that in the training school, that we all, we all want to key into power evangelism. Or like John 4, when Jesus showed up at the well, remember? Jesus showed up at the well, woman of the well comes, and Jesus has a word of knowledge for her. He says, hey, I know you don't have one husband, you actually have five. And what does she say? I perceive, sir, that you are a <laughs> prophet. Pretty cool. Okay. Let's grow in it. We can grow in it. But my concern is, is that if I preach just power evangelism from the front, that there's a bunch of us that then just fall in the background and don't share the gospel because we don't have access to that today. You know what I'm saying? But I want to set you free for friendship evangelism because all of us can do it. And I actually, the other concern I have is that I believe there are some kind of, as I think in my mind, timid Timothys, right? Paul was more of a ah, wild man. Timothy's a little more timid, you know, as far as our New Testament scripture. Timid Timothy's here who you guys are some of the best evangelists we have. Now, just because you don't go to the mall and treasure hunt, meaning getting a word of knowledge and then going to the mall and sharing that word with someone, just because you don't do it doesn't mean you're not a good evangelist. Yeah, amen. Do we have a ho? Ho, come on. Okay, we have some timid Timothy's that need to be released and saying, this is what works. You know what I'm saying? And the stats just show, as far as church attendance go, most people come to church because a friend asked them. Most people come to Christ because someone brought them to that, brought them to Jesus, you know? The televangelism, all, in spite of all the media out there, it's not how most people are coming to Christ, at least in our culture, okay, in this culture, in which we're living and breathing every day, okay? So that's the first thing. The first implication is you are free in your friendships, Right? You're free to be fizzy. 
because it's a mystery. You just share the gospel and watch what God does. Okay? What else do I want to say about that one? Oh, yeah. The other thing that sets you free from is you don't have to be the apologetics guru. You know? I love that we have David Konechly's here, David's uncle. Cliff Konechly's written a book called Give Me an Answer, and he just has a lot of great answers to all the big questions. But when your friend or when your coworker, when your neighbor, you get there and you're at a place and they ask you, basically they ask you the pain question, you know, what about your pain? You know, your why God why question, the series we looked at a couple of springs ago. You know, they ask you the problem of evil question. They're not, they're probably not, some people will be, but most people aren't looking for the theological answer. Well, God gave us liberty, made us in our image, and now we're free to love or not love. We reject love. They're more asking for what about you and your pain? And you're free to say, well, hey, this is how it kind of worked out in my life. I, I do follow God. These things were hard, but I met God in this way. This is how he met me there. As John said, he said, this is how God cleansed me and washed me and set me free. That's what people are looking for. So you don't need to be the apologetics guru. Amen? Everyone say, I'm free. free. I'm free to be fizzy. I'm free to be fizzy because it's a mystery. There we go. We got it. Okay, the other implication that I want to share is this. And that is that, um, so now the, well, Proverbs says this. Proverbs says, he who wins souls is wise. Okay, so now that means that our wisdom comes in perceiving where our friends are. You know, Lord, help me to understand where is this person kind of on these five thresholds. And although there's a cooperation here with the Holy Spirit, how, you know, where are they? Are they, are they um, you know, are they, are they just getting to know me? How do I build trust? How do I make it so that, this could sound manipulative, sorry, wrong language. How do I build enough trust so that when they're in a bind, they call me? How do I call them and share, hey, actually, I'm kind of hurting right here. Do you know what I'm saying? You can, you know, you build trust by being vulnerable. Maybe that's where you got to start. Or maybe they are kind of seeking now. Or uh, maybe, maybe they're curious. And then how do you, you know, that's the question that you start to ask. So the deal with evangelism becomes not how do I deliver the one-trick wonder with the proper apologetics and the Holy Ghost coming down. And I do want the Holy Ghost to come down, but it's not like, oh, I've got to make power happen. It's just, how do I see where they're going? And um, how do I be a part of that next, kind of nudging them to the, to the next threshold? Okay? And, and it also becomes, when we do big events, because we do have some plans for some big events this spring and summer. When we do a community event, it's just gauging the fact that, hey, this community event is geared towards this or this. You know, you'll start to hear that, I guess. You'll need to hear that from me, from the leadership. We have an event. I'll tell you kind of what we're geared towards. Are we just kind of wide open to do a big gathering? Are we actually going? Is it truly a seeker event? In other words, is it an event that we're actually trying to get to those people who really want, they like, are trying to get the Jesus question answered? We, we, need, to, we need to just have the vocabulary to talk about that so we're all kind of on the same page. Okay? Probably the best way I can explain this is, and I'll just borrow... Um, again, from the authors here, but I think of my son, J.D. J.D., right now, he, um, he can say the alphabet, and um, he knows some letters, okay? So I read to him every night, and, um, uh, you know, for me, it's strange. I can't remember a time when I didn't know how to read, because when I look at these symbols on the page, automatically words and ideas and abstractions come to mind, and I read them without a problem. But J.D. just maybe right now sees letters, Right? And he hasn't even started to, to sound out words. Now, he's going to cross a threshold. One day, he will be able to read. And it's a little bit mysterious how he's going to do it. Like, I'm just going to keep sounding out things, and I'll point to letters, you know, ka ka ka. He's really excited about W lately, actually. <clears throat> when we were going to the, we went to the mall yesterday, and he just kept saying, W, 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 W. So, 
Great. He's into W right now. I was like, what? W, W. It actually took me a while to figure out what he was saying because it was so complex. <clears throat> w. So JD's into W. But, so what I'm getting at is there's a little bit of mystery how he's going to get to the threshold of being able to read. But because I'm clued into the fact that he's not reading yet, I'm not getting mad at him because he doesn't know how to read, right? Which is sometimes what we do to unbelievers, right? We're like, we think it's a binary switch, on, off. I mean, yes, Revelation makes it clear. It's on or off at the end. But Jesus makes it clear that there's a process. And if the sophistication of our evangelism is just on, off, you know, well, are you on or you off? Well, get on now, you know? We can often do more damage. But Jesus gives us permission to realize that people are on a journey. And so instead, it's, all right, J.D., we're just letters right now, and eventually you get to read, right? Same thing with your friends, right? They, you know, for you, you don't understand how they don't know Jesus yet. But remember, they're just, they're just trying to make sense of life. So you come in, and yes, you're inspired by the Holy Spirit on what you give them, and give them gifts, and you love on them, you invite them to things, you ask them important questions. You know, it's often questions that can trigger them from one threshold to the next, and that's what you do. You scatter the seed. Let God be part of the mystery. Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys stand up? Worship band, come on up. Everyone just say it again with me. I'm free to be fizzy because it's a mystery. Amen. I'm going to have us do a couple things here, and we are preparing to uh, receive communion. First, I'm just going to ask us, you just ask the Lord. Let him bring one, two, or three friends into your mind. You just ask the Lord, Lord, I mean, I feel like God's already been doing this with some of you, but Lord, where is this person, you know, on this kind of threshold deal? Where are they? Let me clue in. He who wins souls is wise. Give me wisdom to know where they are. And then you just ask the Lord, Lord, what's the next thing for them? Is there even just a phrase I can say? Is there a question I can ask them? You just ask the Lord, okay? So when we bow our heads, you just ask the Lord now, Lord, just trust you. Just bring up one or two or three of my colleagues, my coworkers, my friends, my family, my neighbors. Who's been on my heart lately? Who have you put in my heart a longing for them to really know you? Maybe it's a person I see every time I go to the grocery store. How can I take a risk? Like Brian and Jade did, asking their banker, is there anything I can pray for you? How can I scatter seed? And then as you're just, as most of us are processing that question, I'm going to address another group here, and that is if there's anyone here who is kind of in that seeker category, and you're at a place where you just want to receive Jesus. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to, everyone's uh, heads are bowed, everyone's eyes are closed. I'm just going to ask you, we just raise your hand because I want to help you pray a prayer. We can invite Jesus into your heart. You can follow him forever. Anyone at all. So anyone here today where you've been in that urgency area of saying, I want to know God. I want to know Jesus. It's time for me to give my life to Him. Is there anyone here at all? It's okay if not, but if God is pounding kind of on the door of your heart saying, hey, it's time for you to say yes to me. It's time for you to surrender. I just want to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to have you pray a, a prayer. There's nothing magic about the prayer. Just so you can walk into that threshold. Okay. So, you just pray this prayer with me. You can just pray it under the, under your breath. Dear God, 
I confess I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I invite you, Jesus, into my heart. I surrender to you. I'm tired of living life my way. I want to live life your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So for the rest of us, let's just keep asking, Lord, what would you have me do? Where's my brother? Where's my sister on this threshold scale? God's just speaking to you in the quietness and it's still small voice, just quietly speaking to you what to do next, how to pray more, how to pray next, how to invite next. He's doing it. The thing I want to encourage us with is if we attend to this and if we're okay with the tension of the mystery and the organic nature of it all, we will do Matthew 20 and 18 well. As we will be making disciples, not just getting decisions for Christ, We'll start making disciples who follow Jesus all the days of their lives. We will do that.